0: Uh, But we'll be back at the Y next week. So let's open up our Bibles together. We're at Matthew chapter 7. We're at Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, we do have some over on the resource table over there that you can follow along with us. But we are at Matthew chapter 7. This is God's holy word. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eyes, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, when there is a log in your own eye, out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on our time. Father, as we come before you right now, we are mindful uh, as we consider the subject of being judgmental and being critical Lord, that this is something that hits home to many of us because we, by nature, are self-righteous in how we treat our fellow men and women. So we pray, God, right now that you would bring conviction, that your word would come to bear upon our lives, that you would expose uh, the sin that is ever so prevalent, and that, Lord, not only would you convict us, that you would produce repentance, that this time in your word would be life-altering as we turn towards Jesus. We pray in his precious name. Amen. All right, June eleventh, two 2002, a particular TV show came on the air for the very first time, American Idol. It's 2023. Besides a brief hiatus, the show is still going strong. But what stood out in 2002 when that show came out was one particular judge, Simon Cow. He was from the UK. And, and what stood out so much about Simon was his honesty as he judged the contestants. Let's, let's go beyond honesty. Uh, harsh, mean-spirited, and a dream crusher. For example, uh, I, I actually was able to find 17 minutes of highlights of him tearing down people on YouTube. I watched a good 10 of them, and uh, he, he really hurts feelings. He told one person last year, I said to one of the contestants, you are the worst singer in America. He said, you, my friend, are the worst singer in the world. Ouch. Another person, he told them that if you were to ask me what nightmares sound like, I would use your audition as a reference point. Another person, he says, I have a greater chance of eating breakfast on the moon tomorrow than you being a pop star. And then the last one that I thought was really harsh and intense is he told the person, if we were to allow you to win the contest, we would end the whole music industry. You're that bad of a singer. So he takes the dreams and he crushes them and then he tramples on them and then he throws them in the trash. It is, it's intense. And we just don't even know how to respond Here's the problem. We're in a room probably of a bunch of Simon cows, Even amongst God's people. Now, I think most of our Simon Cowell uh, relationship is we're really good at not vocalizing like him. We're not as brazen, but critical, mean-spirited harsh in the heart and mind, I guarantee that we have many of the people in this room that line up a little too much like Simon. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are called to not judge harshly and critically in a spirit of self-righteousness. We're to be patient and gracious and merciful towards others. And when inevitably we do judge, because there are times and places to judge, we do it in a spirit of humility Devoted to Christ, devoted to truth. So that's what we're going to consider today, this, this whole issue of judging, the sin of judging, uh, living with a plank eye. As we break down the passage, we're going to see judging in four ways. First of all, we're going to look at the command against judging. As I said, this is not a complete ban on judging. There is a time, there is a place. Verse 6 will end with very clearly judging at the forefront of the thought. But what he's calling out is a self-righteousness amongst us. Secondly, we're going to look at the consequences for judging. That if you want to go the path of judging other people in your self-righteousness, God is game on. You too will be judged like that. And we'll see the conflict with judging. And here's the problem with you and I judging like that. You and I are not fit to judge. And you and I are fit to be judged and it's not going to go well. So lastly, we'll look at the caution in judging. I think our response needs to be one where we focus on ourselves, our own issues, our own sin, and when we uh, do have to judge, we do it rightly in a spirit of humility. All right, so let's get started at verse 1 as we see the command against judging. So uh, if you're visiting, we are going through the Sermon on the Mount. We're actually going through the Gospel of Matthew, but we're now in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 7, we see a little bit of a transition in Jesus' thoughts, where this chapter, there's going to be a lot of focus on relationships and, and how the relational dynamics work. In particular, today's passage, he's addressing the tendency of judging one another. Listen to what he says. He says, judge not. So immediately when we hear that, we could take the rest of it out of context and immediately say, see, we are never, ever, ever to judge people. But he's not ruling out all judging. It doesn't mean uh, that we can't. So if if we had somebody in here who worked in the judicial system was a judge, we would tell them to not put their two-week notice in. That you can judge like that. If you get an email this week from a prince in Africa that you've won $15 million, judge, okay? Judge, judge, and judge away. Don't be naive. Don't be gullible. You did not win the 15000000 million. I'm sorry, bearer of bad news. On more serious notes, if, if somebody was to stand up here and preach from God's word, and what they said did not line up with scripture, and it was heresy, judge judge and judge. John seven twenty four says this, do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. So Jesus is all for discernment, for wisdom, making assessments, speaking truth. Acts 17, the Bereans are celebrated for that. Acts 17, 11, they examine the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So when Paul would preach, they were judging Paul, not maybe on his, his presentation style, his appearance, but they were judging the content of his message, making sure that it lined up with Scripture. People have used this, this verse specifically as a reason to not exercise church discipline. We'll, we'll hear people ask that question or say that question, who am I to what? What? Who am I to judge? So th- what that means is I need to turn a blind eye to sin and to wickedness. That is not what is going on here. Is God forbidding all judging? Everybody nod your head. No, no. We're to stand for truth. We're to stand for Jesus. So please don't hear me wrong when I, when I confront the issue of judging That Joe is saying that we need to turn a blind eye to sin. We can never speak against truth. Uh, That is not what we're doing. What he is doing is ruling out an ungodly, worldly form of judging. Have you ever had the luxury of having a backseat driver in your car? Raise your hand. Maybe a front seat driver who's a backseat driver. Yeah, there's... Well, they weren't technically in my backseat, but they were acting like a backseat. If you don't know what I'm talking about, a backseat driver, it's like it's like a real-life in-person on-star. And they get to tell you how fast you're going, how slow you're going, what lane you should be in, how close you are to the car in front of you, how close you are. Like all of those kind of things, this very uber-critical passenger. We have a relative of the Backseat driver, it's the Monday morning quarterback. And what they do is normally on football day is Sunday for like the NFL. Monday, the, the fan is really good at critiquing the quarterback and the judge or the quarterback and the coach after the fact. Just can just point out all the things they did wrong because you spent no hours preparing for that game. You don't know what NFL players and coaches know, but you'd think you do. It's that, that spirit of self-righteousness that if everybody would just get it together like me, my life would be easier. And that's what he's calling out. He's calling out this spirit of the Pharisees. Matthew nine eleven, Jesus is eating with tax collectors. He's eating with sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Is that question a question of wanting to understand? No. It's a passive-aggressive question. What in the world is he doing eating with those low lowlifes? It's that hypercritical, self-righteous attitude of fault-finding, critiquing. There's no grace. There's no mercy. It's all about pointing out others' imperfections. Friends, and friends, I think it's time for you and I, with within ourselves, you don't have to say out loud, we're terrible at this. We do this all the time. We judge people based on their dress. We, dress, we judge people based on their beauty. We judge people based on their physical appearance. We judge people based on their parenting because it doesn't line up how you parent. We judge people based on their beliefs. We judge people based on their sports affiliation. We, just, we judge all the time. Now, most of us have reached a level of supposed maturity that we hide it. We're not just openly saying all of our judging, but I know it. I, I can watch. I've seen it happen where maybe a child is this out of control. And I'm watching other parents look at that parent. And if I could read the heart, if I could read the mind, they are judging that parent as if, well, if I was the parent, that would never happen. And we do that all the time. And friends, this is sin. This is not the spirit of a Christian. Understand that. Being judgy, being critical should never, if somebody was to say, give me three descriptions of you, if being judgy and being critical is one of them, that is a problem as a follower of Christ. That is unacceptable. Because not only do we see the command against judging, we see consequences for judging. And we need to understand what Jesus is saying here, because this is serious stuff, because I would argue Jesus is, is questioning sometimes the validity of faith here. Because if if you really follow Christ, if you really are resting in the grace and mercy of Christ, you're not going to be critical like this. And if you are, it's starting to question, do you you even know me in the first place? Listen to what he says. He says, judge not that that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Notice what he's saying. Okay. You want to go the path of being critical and judging? Okay. Expect the same judgment. This hypercritical judgment is going to be applied to you now. It's what we would commonly say uh, in the English idiom, it's a taste of your own medicine. It's used to describe one person sampling the same unpleasantness that they've been dishing out to others. It's like, okay, you want to judge everybody? Now we're going to turn it around, and we're going to be hypersensitively judging you. Maybe we'll judge different subjects, different areas of your life, but there is plenty to judge. It's the unfair teacher who ends up having to take some secondary classes for their degree, and all of a sudden they experience a teacher who is as difficult as they are. They don't feel as confident in being a critical teacher in that regard. It's the bully being bullied, the critical one being critiqued, the cheap shot artist being cheap shotted. It's what Jesus talks about in Matthew 17 or 18 with the unmerciful servant. So a master forgives a servant of a great debt because he begs and pleats. Once forgiven, he goes and finds another servant the servant who'd just been forgiven, and he ends up showing no mercy, having this person uh, in trouble until he pays the debt. And when the master who gave the original forgiveness hears about it, he's furious. He says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And listen to what Jesus says. So also my heavenly father will do to you, every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You don't judge or you judge without grace and mercy. Fine. Game on. You get the same treatment. So should you be expecting that kind of judgment? Are you hypercritical? Are you ready for it to come bearing down on you? Because here's the problem, though. You're going to expect the same judgment, but here's the worst part. You're getting a different judge. You see, even with the Simon Cowell, some of the people, were, he was wrong and have had music success that he critiqued. Some of them would even look him in the eye and say, I don't really care what you think. Big deal. You're not the only person in the music industry. And they just kind of shrug it off. And I think that's a fair response. He is not infallible. He's not perfect. He can, he can misinterpret, misjudge people. That is not the case for you and I. You want to be critical? You want to be self-righteous? Okay, you get to stand before God. And he gets to critique you. He gets to judge you. And he is perfect. He is infallible. Matthew 6.15, we already saw it a chapter ago. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Romans 2.2, 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So I have to ask, are you right before God this morning? Are you standing based solely on the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Do you fear God's judgment? Are you forgiving? Are you known for your grace and mercy? Or are you known for your critical spirit? What's it going to be? So we see the command against judging, what we're not to do, what we are to do, the consequence for judging, same judgment but different judge. Let's now look at the conflict with judging. Read verse 3 with me. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there is a log in your own eye? Here, we're starting to get to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is this, you and I focus on other people's sin so easily. We are way too focused when we're in the the mode of critique and judging on others. I remember as, as a child, I always liked the highlight magazines. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like a kid's magazine. And what I always liked in it, they would have a page. And in the page, it would be, what's wrong with this picture? So like we probably should have had some of those in light of today's sermon and kids have to be in here. The younger kids, you could be looking for what's wrong with the picture today. And what you would do is you would be going through it and you'd find a bicycle with a square wheel or uh, there would be like instead of a tie on a businessman, he would have some fish and you're supposed to circle. And the end of the day, like, okay, I found out all the things that are wrong with this picture. See, but here's the problem. We, we graduate from being little kids to do the highlight thing. And guess what? We practice that on a daily basis in our real life. We don't circle it, but we do it. Think about it. We look at our coworker and we're judging everything wrong with them. Sometimes we correct them. Sometimes we don't, but we're judging. We judge what they said. We judge their appearance. We, we judge their beliefs. We, we do it all the time. I know I do it. I know I've talked to you. I've heard you guys do it. Like we just, we do this. We're, we're circling just all the time, looking at all this stuff. Luke 18, 11, the Pharisee standing by himself. He prayed this. Think about what he's saying. He is praying and he has the nerve in his prayer to say this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I thank you I'm not an extortioner, unjust, an adulterer. I'm so thankful I'm not like this tax collector. And then notice what he says is wrong. He says there is a speck in your brother's eye. How big is a speck? It's like it's small. It's hardly noticeable to the naked eye. But yet we love to judge that speck. To see something wrong in another person, whether it's their motivations. I mean, how many times do we judge the motivations of a person? Well, it was really nice what they did, but you know, they only did it because of this. Like, we we can't even take somebody doing something good and something noble because then we're going to critique why they did it. I found myself, I was at a pastor's luncheon this week doing a sermon on judging, and I'm sitting in a room judging other pastors. I even looked at Andy. I was like, oh, this is just not good. I was like, I'm just judging away. And that's the spirit of our critical heart. Because here's the problem. First of all, do you have too much awareness of others' faults? Are you quick to tear down others? Because we focus on other sins, but here's here's the big thing. We fail to see our own sins. Do you get it? He says, you're looking at a speck, and you know what's standing out of your eye? A log. A log. We don't see our own faults, our own imperfections, our own sins. Romans 2.1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge practice the very same things. We saw this in 2 Samuel. Do you remember? Do you have an idea of what I'm talking about? David commits adultery, tries to cover up his sin, has Bathsheba's husband murdered, marries her and thinks he's fixed the problem. And he can just kind of walk off into a new life and everything's perfect. And Nathan comes, and Nathan tells him a story. Do you remember this story? He tells him the story. There's a a rich man and a poor man. The rich man has a ton of lambs. The poor man has this one little lamb. It's precious. He has a, a guest coming to town in order to feed the guests. Rather than take from his bounty of lambs, he takes from the poor man and takes his lamb. And when David hears this, he is furious and demands that the person who did this, his life should be taken from him. And then words that probably crushed David. Nathan looked at him and what did he say? You are that man. What a hypocrite. And truth be told, In the vast majority of your criticism and my criticism and my critical spirit of other people, you and I are that man. You and I are that woman. Do you understand the hypocrisy? Jesus said in John 8, 7, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And yet you and I have stones in our hands all the time. We're throwing stones all the time. We fail to appreciate it. It says you without sin. But that's not us. We're missing the glaring faults right before our own eyes. The Bible teaches that really like our righteous, our, our, our best deeds are filthy rags in the eyes of God. Like none of us here is good. None of us here is, is, is perfect. And yet we love to ignore our own sins and critique our fellow man. Do you see your bigger problems? What is the logs that are sticking out of your own eyes? How convicted are you? How much humility is there? Jesus came to save the sick. Am I looking out in a room filled with sick people? Or am I looking out at a room filled with a bunch of self-righteous people? Because the self-righteous people are sick. Do you understand that? This is a big deal. I think it's probably one of the the areas of, of acceptable sin amongst Christians. That we are just, and we hide it under the guise of speaking truth. We justify how nasty we are to people Because, hey, I'm just standing up for truth. There is a time and place to stand up for truth. And I am not denying that by any means. But especially in the context of the body of Christ, believers, we should not be tearing each other down so much as we do. So we see the command against judging. We see the consequences for judging. We saw the conflict in judging. Lastly, let's look at the caution in judging. Read verse 5 with me. We need to look within first. He goes on and says, you hypocrite, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. He's calling them out because they act like they have it all together. Luke eighteen nine, speaking to the Pharisees, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And the problem is there's this attitude that you and I have it all together. And out of our altogether awesomeness, it is our duty, it is our moral responsibility to tear down our fellow brothers and sisters so they can maybe reach up to our level. It's a term often used in in our culture today, it's self-care. What self-care is, is doing things that help you live well and improve your overall well-being. And there's some really good stuff involved with self-care, exercising regularly, dieting, eating healthy, getting a proper amount of sleep, finding avenues for just recreation. And like, those are all good things. Well, I would argue there is a self-care element in the spiritual realm that you and I need to be engaged in. We need to be looking within. We need to be self-examining. First Corinthians 11:28, and it's, we read that every time we do communion, let a person examine himself. And I think what happens is a lot of times, we, we don't examine ourselves spiritually. We go days, we go weeks. We even go months at times without confessing sin, without ever looking in that spiritual mirror. Of God's word and seeing how much we don't line up. And that, friends, that is not healthy. That is, is not good. You and I, we need to, I would argue, pastorally, you need to daily spend time in the presence of God. You need to daily look at your sin life and see where you struggle and confess. Not because you're going to heaven that day and you're going to hell the next. But to have a right, proper relationship with Jesus, you need to be putting sin to death. You need to be confessing. You need to be really seeking God's face. And notice what he says. As you do that, as you deal with the log in your own eye, you are able to help your brother and the speck in his eye. That's the key. The more you focus on your own spiritual problems... You have a spirit of humility to actually help your brothers and sisters in Christ. Galatians 6, he, he tells us to, to help restore the person who's caught in sin, but do it with a spirit of gentleness. But if you don't do any self-examination, you're not coming with a spirit of gentleness. You're coming like a bull in a china shop. And that's not to be the case. Well, spiritual self-care happening in your life doesn't need to happen. Maybe even today, you need to spend some time, look in the mirror, because you got this critical spirit of everybody else, and start critically being, uh, evaluating of self. But not only do we need to look within, we need to look out for it. And here's what I said. So verses 1 to 5, he's talking, he uses the term brothers. So it seems to be verses 1 to 5, the focus is the dynamics of us being judgmental and critical within the context of the body of Christ. But then verse 6, it seems like he's transitioning who he's talking about from believers to unbelievers. And he does it because he uses two uh, animal imageries. One, dogs, and then the other, pigs or, or hogs. Uh, yesterday, my, my mom visited Friday, came to my son's football game Saturday, stayed the night, and then went to uh, another football game Saturday. But she stayed at the hotel, so I went to the hotel yesterday. And as we were waiting to go up the elevator, the elevator opened up and a poodle walked out for real. No leash, nothing, just a, just a poodle. I'm like, all right. It was cute poodle, but I was just, I was confused. It was, and it was Hampton Inn, like they're kind of a nicer hotel. I'm just looking around and, and my, my mom loved it, thought it was this great. Okay, don't, when we hear this language here about dogs, don't be thinking about the cute poodle that was at Hampton Inn we need to understand when he when he talks about dogs in the bible it dogs especially to the israelites they were scavenger animals they didn't have pet dogs normally speaking so it's it's a bad thing revelation 22 it says those who are on the outside are sexually immoral murderers and guess what other term use dogs likewise pigs unclean animal Part of what they could and could not eat. Filthy. Uh, 2 Peter 2.22 combines both metaphors. The dog returns to its own vomit. The sow has bathed herself only to wallow in the mud again. So when he's talking about dogs and pigs, he's talking about unbelievers. And when he's talking about it, it says, do not throw your pearls before pigs. Pearls would have been of the utmost value. Very difficult to get. So they were of of great worth. What is holy? The things of God. What he's saying is there's going to be a point, and this is once again, where there is a time and place for judging. There's a limit to how much we give the things of God to the person that keeps rejecting the things of God that there comes a point where, not that we necessarily give up hope that God will do a transformative work, but there's a point. Jesus talked to his disciples. He'll, we'll see it in a few chapters in Matthew, Matthew 10, 14. He says, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave. You understand? He's not He's not giving them anymore the things that are holy. He's not giving them the pearls because at the end of the day, they'll trample them underfoot and they'll turn to attack you. That there's just a point in good judgment where you just have to be okay that you allow the wicked to remain in their wickedness. We tried, we brought them the gospel. They rejected it. We have to move on. That There is a point where God's patience will sometimes wear off. But we do need to judge So is discernment expected? Is there a limit to how we deal with the rejecter? All right, raise your hand if you like to be criticized. Where is everybody? Who here likes to be complimented and ego-stroked? Raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. Come on. I'm raising both my hands. When I get done today... I'm going to much rather prefer. That was an amazing sermon, Joe. That was the worst thing I heard. If I think that's what you're bringing, I might even start a conversation with somebody. Just, to, I'm just kidding. Maybe, maybe a little bit. You see, we don't like criticism. At least not in the moment. Sometimes I think we can look back honestly and look back at, at critiques and say, you know, I'm so grateful that you said something to me, that you exposed sin in my life. I am, I am thankful. In the moment, I hated it, but it was good. I think what ends up happening is you and I, when somebody starts evaluating us, immediately our inner defense attorney starts to step up. And we not only want to defend ourselves, we want to begin critiquing the person judging us. But on the other hand, I think most of us are pretty comfortable criticizing others, doing our our version of Simon Cowell. Sometimes we're not as comfortable vocalizing it in front of people but we do. So Charles Spurgeon, God has used the man mightily. He's been uh, gone for many a years. One of the things that Charles Spurgeon often had to deal with having quote-unquote success in ministry was criticism. He got critiqued often amongst God's people, uh, what he did, what he said, But I want to read a quote from him, because I think it's so profound in light of what we're talking about as we talk about judging others and being judged. Listen to what he says. Brothers, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are far worse than he thinks you to be. If he charges you falsely on some point, yet be satisfied. For if he knew you better, he might change the accusation and you would be no gainer by the correction. If you have your moral portrait painted and it is ugly, be satisfied for it only needs a few blacker touches and it would be still nearer the truth. Do you understand what he's saying? You're not as good as you think you are. If people really knew you, their criticism would be worse. If they made accusations of you and they really knew you, their accusations would be worse. If we painted a picture of who you really are, it's nowhere near as ugly as it could be if people really knew you. Profound statement. But I would argue most of us don't believe that. Let's be real. Most of you don't believe that. Most of you don't believe you're worse than what people say about you. Most of us are delusional enough to look in the mirror and say fabulous in the spiritual realm. And that's not the case. Did God come to save healthy people or sick people? You see, our problem with judging is we're self-righteous. We have such a high view of ourselves and since we're so great, why not point out the lack of greatness in other people and help them to be awesome like you and I? That's why we tear down people all the time. But as a follower of Jesus, that does not line up. That should not be us. To judge so harshly and critical. And we're talking gray areas. Like I said, this is not, we don't speak truth when somebody's living in habitual sin. It does not mean that we don't speak truth when somebody is holding up heresy. What we do show grace and mercy is when we are evaluating people's lives because they're not perfect like our own. Here's the question I want to ask and we'll close with this. At the end of the day, do we all need Jesus? Because if we all need Jesus, we need to start thinking twice about how critical and judgmental we are. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now, and I'll admit in my own life, Lord, uh, forgive me for my critical spirit. Forgive me for my, my self-righteous willingness to evaluate everybody for all the things that I see them do wrong, say wrong, act wrong, all the while ignoring all the ways that I say and do and act wrongly. I pray for all of us, Lord, that you would not only bring conviction on this matter, that you would produce contrition and repentance. We pray, Lord, that this congregation and this body of believers, that we would be known for our grace known for our mercy, all the while not compromising on truth by any means. That, Lord, we would judge when we need to judge, that we would be men and women who hold fast to the word of God, but that we would also be patient with our fellow brother, our fellow sister, as you're doing your work of sanctification in their lives. Thank you for Jesus. In his name alone we pray. Amen. Please stand.